You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. We're going to read from the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verses 15 through 18 in the ESV Bible. Well, as for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked him the truth concerning all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth, but the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. May God bless the reading of his word. Last week I talked about heaven, and the reason why is just because we've been doing, going through this study in the book of Daniel, and we took a couple weeks just to camp in chapter 7, and we noticed, as you noticed, as we worked through the passage, that although Daniel had encountered in his dream four very scary beasts, the fourth being the most terrifying of them all, he was reminded that the people of God and the saints of God will inherit the kingdom of God forever, forever, and ever. And so I wanted to just help you understand why inheriting the kingdom forever, forever, and ever is a big deal and why it is emphasized in Daniel chapter, uh, chapter 7. Anytime something is mentioned two times or more in the Bible, it is being emphasized. And so it is emphasized, and it's emphasized in light of the Ancient of Days, who was God the Father, who took his seat on the throne to judge the nations. It is emphasized in light of the Son of Man, who will uh, come to not just judge the nations, but he will receive, according to verse 14, dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. And then you have this reference to the kingdom that we will inherit uh, that's mentioned twice. And the reason why it's there is because in light of what is ours in Jesus, what are, in light of what we're promised that we will receive as a result of our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, all the beasts in our life dim in comparison. When Johnny Erickson Tata was 18, how many of you have heard of that name before? Okay, some of you. When, you, when she was 18 years old, she was uh, swimming in the Chesapeake Bay and dove into the Chesapeake Bay, underestimating the shallowness of the water. And when she dove in, she uh, hit her head and she uh, broke her spine. And she was paralyzed from that moment on from the shoulders down. She's a quadriplegic. While in rehabilitation, she experienced anger and depression over her injury. She wrestled over whether life was worth living. She even contemplated suicide and uh, found her hope eventually in Jesus, placed her faith and trust in Jesus, and was, you know, was basically delivered from that. 
Didn't mean that not delivered from paralysis, but delivered from wanting to die. She is now in her 70s. She's survived cancer multiple times. She has survived COVID recently. She founded Johnny and Friends, uh, which is a ministry to reach uh, disabled people uh, all around the world. She's spoken all over the, all over the world and has shared the gospel. She, in, a, in her own right, is an evangelist in many ways. She has written over 40 books. She is also a very gifted artist. She learned how to paint with her mouth. And um, she's also a musician. She sings. She's got a beautiful voice. She said this about the promises of the Bible. She said, no other religion, no other promises new bodies, hearts, and minds. Only the gospel of Christ can, can do or can bring hurting people incredible hope. Only in the gospel of Christ do hurting people find such incredible hope. That's why Daniel chapter 7 is in the Bible. That's why I'm going to look at Revelation chapter 19 and 21 and some verses uh, peppered throughout Revelation. That's why those, those scripture passages are in the Bible. Last week I talked about like heaven today, if you were to die, what your experience would be uh, in heaven today, the kingdom of heaven. But I said towards the end of the message that heaven is temporary. That, ha- that version of heaven is temporary. And one day God is going to make heaven and earth new. And that experience will experience a type of resurrection like our bodies will first experience, and that experience will be forever. That uh, before Revelation 21 becomes our experience, each and every person who has placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ will experience a physical resurrection, the new glorified body. That is a promise all throughout the Bible. In Daniel chapter 12, which we'll get to later in the series, Daniel said some people will, will rise to everlasting contempt and shame, a type of judgment. Their bodies will not be glorified, and others will be raised, and they will shine like the stars of heaven, and they will experience a resurrection where their bodies will be glorified. And so what I want to do is I just want to offer just... Three realities that will be our experience on a new earth under the kingdom of God that we will inherit, that Daniel promises that we will inherit. The first is this, is that the reign of the king will be enjoyed. Jesus is uh, prophesied here in Daniel chapter 7, I saw in night visions and behold with the clouds of heaven there came one like the son of man or like a son of man. He came to the ancient of days and was presented before him and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. The reign of the king will be enjoyed by his people. All peoples, nations, and languages. The ESV says, he translates it, should serve him. This is not a suggestion. This is not something that's, that, that, that nations and people groups will have the option to do. They will do it. This is a promise all throughout the Bible that all around the world, the knowledge that the people will, will know God and he will know them. And those people will be the people who at some point have found their faith and trust in Jesus. This is what uh, the Apostle Paul meant when he wrote in Philippians chapter 2 these words. Let's read this together. 
Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's a physical reality that we will experience. Jesus is coming, and all, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And when he comes, he will come to balance the scales of justice, and he will make what is wrong with this world right. In Revelation chapter 19, if you have a Bible, you, you can turn there, or if you're using your digital device, you can go over to there. Um, but Revelation chapter 19 tells us about that event when Jesus will come and, he, and set up his kingdom. It says this, beginning with verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, are following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, and with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron." He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God, the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Like when Jesus comes, he is coming for real. Like he, 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 he was crucified for our sins. On the third day, he rose from the grave. He appeared to a whole bunch of people, including his disciples. And then he ascended to heaven and he said, I will come back in the same manner that I left. I am coming to judge the nations. And so there are seven characteristics from Revelation chapter 19. I just want to point your, your attention to, to show you, uh, that ought to fill your heart with joy. I don't know if you ever experienced being bullied when you're a kid, but I always felt better when my dad was in proximity of the bullies, right? Uh, or if somebody who was tougher than me who was my friend. Right? Any of you have ever been bullied? Am I the only one in this room? Okay. All right. So some people. Um, so here's what we discover from Revelation 19. One, that Jesus will come as a triumphant king. He's coming as a triumphant king. He comes on a white horse. It's not, this is not symbolic of his purity alone. It is symbolic of his victory. Generals would ride into Rome on a white horse after they were victorious. Jesus is coming in on a white horse before he defeats the, the, his enemies or, or the nations because his victory is sure. Secondly, Jesus will come as a faithful and true king. Faithful and true are not just adjectives ascribed to Jesus. They are who he is, faithful and true. Think about that. I don't know of any politician or any ruler or king who is 100% faithful and true. Jesus alone is. He is faithful and true. He, he, when he comes, he will not be coming with empty promises. He is coming to make all that is wrong with our world right. 
He is the embodiment of truth. Thirdly, Jesus will come as, a, as the righteous king. When he comes, he will come in righteousness to judge the nations. Everything that he will do when he comes will be right, and it will be true, and it will be good. There will be no room to accuse him of being harsh, rash, or unjust in the execution of his judgment. And uh, the purpose of his second coming, when he comes again, is to reverse the curse of sin. When he comes, he's coming as the righteous king. Fourth, Jesus will come as the discerning king. This is the third time in Revelation that Jesus is described as having eyes like fire. Think about that. Now, this is not Superman Jesus shooting laser beams out of his eyes. Right? This is not, that's not what he's talking about. By his eyes being like flames of fire is, is uh, a, a picture of his ability to see all things. Like, it, it, of all the people, you know, in your, like, world, or outside your world, Jesus knows you best. He sees all the stuff in your heart and in my heart. So think about that for a moment. The stuff that you're ashamed about, that you, would not, you don't even want to mention maybe to the, your closest of friends or family members, Jesus sees that. I said this a while back. And seeing that, he is not repulsed by you. Like when he comes, he's coming on behalf of his, of his people, of his redeemed. Not because they're perfect. He had to die for them. He shed his blood for them, for you, for me. He is not repulsed by you. I love this part about about Revelation, I mean, over and over again, not just in Revelation, but in the Bible, we have a God who knows everything about us, yet he pursues us anyway. Isn't that awesome? That's called good news. There's another word for it. It's called the gospel, right? And Jesus went to the cross knowing that and died in our place, knowing everything about us, and he rose on the third day knowing everything about us, and he said, I'm coming back again knowing everything about us. He will come as the discerning king. Fifth, he will come as the king of kings. In verse 12, uh, John, the apostle John notices that, there's, uh, that on Jesus he has many diadems. Now, diadems in the Greek means um, a ruler's crown. It's in contrast to the crowns that are on the beast. It's in contrast to the crowns that are, you know, that are on you know, the devil. Uh, and those crowns are limited. But Jesus' crowns are innumerable. The, the point is not that he has a bunch of crowns on his head. The point is, is that he is the king of kings and lord of lords, period. And he's coming to judge the nations. And he will judge Lucifer, the devil, Satan. He will judge the false prophet. He will judge the Antichrist. You know, check out my sermon um, uh, three weeks ago. I talked about that a little bit. He's coming. He is coming. The point that is being made here is that the Lucifer and the beast pretend to do or, and to be what Jesus is actually capable of, of doing and who he is. And that... They claim to be powerful. Jesus is all-powerful. They claim that they can take life and give it. Jesus has the authority to take life and to give it. He is coming as the King of kings and Lord of lords. Six, Jesus will come as the avenging king. Like, so we're told that on his robe is dipped in blood. Like, well, what does that mean? 
Does it mean, is that, is that a, a symbolic of what he did on the cross, that he shed his blood on the cross, and that's a reminder that, that, that he did that on, on our behalf, on your behalf? Or is it something more? I think it's something more. There's this passage in Isaiah chapter 63 that I want to I read for you in verses 2 through 3. It says, Why is your apparel red and your garments like his who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. I trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath. Their lifeblood splattered on my garments and stained all my apparel. Now that's a graphic picture, but I, how many of you have ever you know, did a, went to a grape-stomping festival? Nobody. I didn't either. I did some research. I want to. I think it would be fun. I like wine, and it would be neat to see how they used to do it. But... Uh, what they would do is you would have these grapes in like a vat or some big container or whatever, and they would roll up their garments and they would stomp on the grapes to, to get the juices you know, flowing from the, from the grapes. And what would happen when you did that? It would, the, the juice of the grapes would splatter onto your garments. When Jesus comes, it says his robe is dipped in blood. Why is his robe dipped in blood? Because all the nations that will be gathered against him, who we learn in Scripture will wail on account of him, will mourn on account of him, will be conquered by will be right, and it will be good. Seventh, Jesus will come as the perfect and divine king. He is the word of God. That is his title. He is coming. And when he comes, that is, that's good news for us. Like he's coming to reverse the curse of sin. And Daniel tells us that Jesus' dominion will not pass away and his kingdom shall not be destroyed. He's not reigning four years until the next election. <laughs> He's reigning forever. And only after the dominion, glory, and the kingdom is given to him will it then be given to the people who belong to him. That's, that's Daniel 7. That's Revelation 20, 21. Which leads me to my next point, that the face of God will be encountered in, in, on this new earth that we will experience. That's significant. Don't let, that, don't let the significance of that pass by you. Like in, in Numbers chapter 6, there's this prayer. It's called Aaron's uh, Blessing. It's called Aaron's Blessing. We actually sang a song a few weeks ago um, that was basically, essentially, Numbers chapter 6. And it starts off with, the Lord bless you and keep you, and may his face what? Yeah. Sign upon you. Why is that in Numbers chapter 6? Because to have the face of God shine upon you is to have his favor, to have his mercy and his grace and his love. When Jesus was on the cross, and he said a number of things, but one of the things that he said was, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What happened in that moment on the cross when he said that? The Father turned his face away. We, on the new earth, will experience God's face. In Exodus chapter 33, Moses asked God, I said, God, I want to see your face. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, which is Yahweh, as his covenant name, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, 
for no one may see my face and what? Live. Live. But yet on the new earth, we'll be able to see the face of God and live. We will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever, and we will enjoy the face of God forever, forever, and ever. And what that means is we will we'll experience his favor. In Revelation 22, verse 4, if you're wondering, where do you get that at? You know, where do you get that from? Uh, Revelation 22, verse 4 says, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. In verse 3 of chapter 22, it says, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. Like, that's what you get to inherit. Like, that's why heaven today is temporary. But our experience on this new earth will be forever. Forever. And everything that inhibits our worship of him, everything that ruins our joy or robs us of our joy will will be removed. It will be taken away. But before Revelation 21 can happen, before we can, uh, we can dwell with God on this new earth, Revelation chapter 5 had to happen. I, ta- I mentioned it last week, but I just want to remind you of it again. Let's, let's read this out loud. Ready? And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on what? The earth. <laughs> on the earth forever. When, that, when we experience that, the Bible says, Paul the Apostle said this in 2 Corinthians, what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. What is mortal will be swallowed up by life. It's an awesome picture. Like cancer will be swallowed up by life. Suffering will be swallowed up by life. Old age will be swallowed up by life. How many of you like that promise, right? Um, All that, that, that inhibits and robs our joy will be swallowed up by life. What is mortal will be swallowed up by life. That is a promise for you and for me, for all of God's people, and that experience will be one that will be forever, forever, and ever. And then we'll, our experience will be Revelation 21, and if, you, if you're reading it in your Bible, because I, I don't think I have, I do have the words on the screen, there we go. Um, this is going to be our experience. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more and I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Meaning, Jerusalem will be the entire earth. <laughs> that will be the city of God. And, uh, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, The dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You want to know where, like I said last week, I said, you know, uh, Eric Clapton wrote this song, Tears in Heaven, and I said theologically, he was very correct, that there are still tears in heaven today. I'm sorry, but 
there, there are, the only time the tears will be wiped away from our eyes, where there will be no place for tears anymore, is when God makes heaven and earth new. When the earth experiences a resurrection like the one we will experience. It's right there in Revelation 21. Which leads me to the third, my third point, and that is the life of the redeemed will be experienced. Listen, you've not experienced thriving yet. In fact, I would say experiencing thriving on this side of eternity is impossible. You can get close to it, maybe, on the, on the little glimpses of experience, like maybe on that hike, you're like, man, I feel, I feel so alive. Or, or maybe, maybe uh, you know, in, in your marriage, there are seasons where it feels like your marriage is thriving. It's not the lifelong experience of marriage. Anybody who's been married for a long time will tell you that um, that, that is true. But there are seasons where we get these little glimpses of like, man, this is so good. On the new, on the new earth, it will be always good. Like I've, um, I heard the, somebody said, I've heard this multiple times, you've, heard, you've probably even heard me say this from, you know, on Sunday morning, the, the statement, you know, that is used to describe the shortcoming uh, of, of another person the sin of another person or the dishonesty of another person or the failure of another person and that phrase that is used to describe that person is what? He is only human <laughs> or she's only human. That is so far from biblical truth. You know why your friend you know, disappointed you? Do you know why that person failed morally? Do you want to know why that person cheated on their taxes or, or that friend betrayed a trust? Because they're jacked up. <laughs> like they're sinners, just like you. Like, in fact, the reason why that's true is because we're all under a curse. In fact, what we should say, I don't know if it would go over very well, is, oh, that person did that because they're cursed. <laughs> just like me. Like, there's coming a day, and we're promised this in the Bible in Revelation 21, there's coming a day where you will no longer ask the question, why do I do the things I don't want to do? And why can't I do the things that I want to do? Right? You ever struggle with that? Like, why did I do that? Why did I say that to my spouse? Why did I treat my, my brother or my sister that way? Why did I treat my neighbor that way? Why, well, why was I dishonest? Like, all of that will be removed from our experience. And when we read Revelation 21 and those first four verses, there are a number of things that will no longer be a part of our experience then that are our experience today. Like today, there's a sea, there's an ocean. We're told in the Bible, that's going to be taken away. Um, there will be no more death. Today, there is death. One day, there will be no more mourning or weeping and pain. We encounter mourning, weeping, and pain. And, one, you know, and, and all that because of the curse. I mean, look, look at this in Revelation 21. The very first verse. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And then it almost seems out of place, and the sea was no more. How many of you have ever gone deep sea fishing? I have. How many of you like fishing? Okay, so um, the ocean, from what I read in here, is going to be done away with. Does that mean there will be no more bodies of water? No, there will be bodies of water. But in the Bible, the ocean or the sea is symbolic of chaos, confusion, and conflict. 
And when God makes all things new, you want to know the thing that will no longer be a part of our experience? Chaos, confusion, and conflict. That's when we'll experience peace forever and ever. So there will be no more sea. That's the first thing. Second, there will be no more death. The word goodbye will, re- will literally be removed from the human vocabulary. We will never need to use that word ever again. I like what Isaiah 65 verse 18 says about this experience that we will have on this new earth. It says, but be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. Can you imagine life where your only experience is joy and gladness? Like that is your experience? Joy and gladness. That will be our experience. Joy and gladness. Because death, because there is death, you know, death is the great robber of joy. You know, sickness, disease, God's going to get rid of it. What is mortal will be swallowed up by life, and we will thrive. That's when we'll experience thriving. To be human, to, be, to experience humanity at its fullest, will only be experienced on the new earth. You know, we, we will know worship the way we were made to, to know worship. We'll experience creation the way we were made to experience creation. That's why Daniel chapter 7 says on two occasions, the people of God, the saints of God, will inherit the kingdom of God. And when they inherit the kingdom of God, they inherit a new earth where they will see God face to face. And there will be no more mourning. No, sorry. No more weeping. No more pain. Isaiah 51 verse 11 says this, this is one of my favorite verses, that when the people of God enter into Zion, which is Jerusalem, is the city of God, it says, everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy. And listen, sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I, I've cited this verse numerous times since I became pastor here. Um, sighing and sorrow will flee away. I can't imagine a life without sighing and, 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 and sorrow. It will flee away. When I was on the phone with my friend's wife, I, I was feeling sorrow. I, I, when I heard her voice, I sighed. Like, oh, Nikki, I'm so sorry. That will be the experience on this life of this side of eternity until a resurrection, but after a resurrection and after a new earth, that will no longer be our experience. There will be no more curse. All suffering will cease. Peace will be so pervasive, it will be so encompassing that, 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 it, like that kind of peace is a type of peace that's impossible for us to experience on this side of eternity. We're given a description in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 6 through 9. The wolf shall dwell, shall dwell with the lamb, 
And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the, and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the viper's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That will be our experience. And so whatever beasts you're facing, whatever, whatever hardships you're, in, you're encountering, whatever's going on in your little world, whether it's with a spouse or, or children or your work or maybe your own body, maybe something, maybe you've got a disease that you just found out about or you're dealing with, you know, you're, you're dealing with the news of, of, of bad news from a doctor, no matter what is going on in your life, like I said last week, if you belong to God, there is nothing that can rob you from the life that he has in store for you. Like, Revelation 21 is part of the gospel. You know what gospel means, right? Good news. It's the greatest news in the universe. It's not just that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, which he did. And it's not just that he rose from the grave on the third day, which he did. It includes he's coming back to judge the nations. But he's coming back to judge the nations to make all things new, to hand his kingdom over to those who belong to him, to be received by them. When we receive the kingdom, God will wipe away our tears because there will be no more need for them. Now wrap your mind around that. Suffering, governments, whatever other scary beasts are currently threatening you cannot destroy you if your hope is in the God of the Bible who is the Ancient of Days in Daniel chapter 7 and his Son who is the Son of Man, that is Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus was able to tell his disciples, some of you they will kill, but what? Not a hair on your head will perish. That's what we're going to inherit. And um, if you're not a Christian, if you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It also says that there is salvation found in no one else but the name of Jesus. <clears throat> His name is not some incantation. It is believing that he lived the life that you could never live, a perfect life. He died a death that we all deserve, and on the third day he rose from the grave, validating everything he claimed to be and do and validates the promise that he's coming back. That's why the tomb is empty. He's coming back, and he's bringing our inheritance with him. Amen? Like, I don't have a whole list of like application points. So now what? What do I do with this on Monday? When you encounter whatever beasts you will encounter throughout this life, you go to Revelation 21. <clears throat> you go to Revelation 20, sorry. Re Revelation 22, verse 4. <clears throat> you go to Romans chapter 8. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. You go to those passages. Those are for us. 
That's how you face the beasts in your life. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for your promise. Thank you for the promise that your kingdom is something that we will inherit and it is ours and it will be on a new earth and it will be our experience forever, forever and ever, period. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.